I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 203rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Morgan Rout, Jamie Sadler, and Garen Chadwick. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Carlin Hudson. And today we have Tony Franklin to talk to us about commercial directing. You might recognize Carlin's voice as not Matt's voice. This is our second time doing an episode without Matt. For who, the record, I've never missed an episode. my job? Um, Last time? Yeah. Last time was Liz Manischel. <laughs> Damn. Liz. We had She's Emily, after my job. Yeah. We had Emily Beston of Seed and uh-huh. Spark. Mm-hmm. And many people thought it was one of our best episodes. So no pressure. Yeah. So no pressure, Carlin. <laughs> uh, but today we have Tony Franklin on and the three of us have multiple things in common. But most importantly, as we all work at the same Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> the one on Hillhurst. Ooh, yep. we shouldn't give away industry secrets. No, I talk about it way too much. Today I was there and I was like working on my laptop and there was this guy like standing, like waiting to get his coffee. And I couldn't tell if he was like look, looking at me or looking at his phone. And I, you know, I have this just shoot it sticker on my laptop. I was like, I feel like this guy knows who I am, like knows or suspects who I am because I have this just shoot it sticker and I'm like he's probably just pulled out his phone because he wants to look up what I look like to see if I'm the person he thinks uh-huh. I might be and then he's going to come up to me and say like hey are you Warren and he never and none he, of that he, happened I guess he got too shy to come and talk to me or I was just making all that up in my head perhaps well last time I saw you there I was wearing your just shoot it hat yeah <laughs> I didn't I expect to see you it was very funny I remember and yeah. you told the barista yeah, because um, everyone comments on that hat. I wear it a lot. It's so weird because I wear my Just Shoot It sticker all the time and nobody ever says anything. <laughs> what do you mean you're wearing your Just Shoot It sticker? I mean, sticker? I'm holding a laptop. It says Just Shoot It on it. <laughs> no one is like, oh, what's that? Yeah, but a hat is an easier conversation piece. Well, I have a. I wear this hat. It says Window Seat. Wear on your it own lot. hat. Wear your Just Shoot It hat. I will. I, I do wear it sometimes. Okay, Just good. Just like 
people on the podcast know that I like this trucker hat, even though apparently trucker hats aren't cool. So, hey, Oren, what have you been up to lately? I've been writing treatments. I guess it's February. Everyone says things pick up in February, and they kind of are. But yeah, I have a job coming up, and I've been slacking on my passion project. Not Um, good. Yeah. But uh, what about you? You have a short premiering at South by. It's public knowledge now. It's public knowledge now. Yeah, it's called Waffle. It's like a horror comedy. That sounds hilariously scary. It's terrifying. No, it's it's not super scary, but it's set in five minutes in the future. Our favorite sci-fi term. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good. I'm really excited for people to see it. Is it your first horror thing? It is my first horror thing. It was actually the first time I worked with a stunt coordinator, and that was super fun and we have a hilarious because we had rehearsals you know and um we have a really funny video that he made from our rehearsals Mm -hmm. that's just terrible and like you know our actresses are like oh 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 no and there's a door slamming and it's very very cheesy and so i can't wait to put a side by side of that with the real footage that looks really beautiful what's the stunt Uh, i feel like i'll give it away actually You'll give away the there's whole a little plot action the... sequence, yeah, kind of, because it's sort of towards the end, and there's, I'll tell you, there's a knife, there's a struggle. I don't need to watch it anymore. <laughs> knife God and struggle, <laughs> and a waffle. I'm assuming this knife cuts this waffle. <laughs> no, it's funny and scary. But yeah, we had like a stunt person for it. It was fun. That's cool. And so when I've worked with some people in the past, they've like there's this idea that stunt people will also help you figure out where to put the camera he was obsessed with trying to help me know where to put the camera and eventually had to be like i got it (laughs) well did you not feel like his instincts were correct or that he was helpful in that way no it was definitely helpful i think i was just so open-minded in the beginning and that he was like oh wow she really doesn't know anything or something like i went too far in the open but it was just about like isn't it like hey She's going to punch her over here and the hand is going to be like six inches away. So you should have the camera behind the head of the person getting punched. Wasn't it stuff like that? He was a little bit like, actually, if you put the camera low. It'll look super badass. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's not really the style of our movie. Do you know the light bulb stunt person joke? Like how many stunt people does it take to change the light bulb? No. It's like. Something along the lines of like one to change the light bulb and four to be like, that was so badass. <laughs> and that's why they don't have a category at the Oscars. Yeah. Though Brad Pitt did. Uh, he did mention him. I was did cool. Thanks to stunt performers. Yeah. yeah. My friend's dad was the president of the Stunt Performers Association. Awesome. So. Love it. Oh, Victory's dad. You know Victory. Oh my God. Palmer really? Sano. Yeah. Holy shit. Her dad. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so anyways, I have that short premiering next month. And you're doing and like a digital program series. program three South by, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's Shorts cool. program three South by. Yeah, Go so check if you're it out there, if you're come there. find me um, and see the movie. And then, yeah. And I'm, this is your second short at South by. It's my second short and my third. I had a episodic premiere. In 2016, I had a right, pilot. The long distance, really. Yes. LDR. What was it called? Distance. Long, distance. Distance. So, yeah, in 2016, I had the episodic pilot. 2018, I had a short film called Nice Ass. And this is called Waffle. It's 2020. It's kind of cool. Right. I, I guess in two years Niswa. I'll be back. It's that's the French. We did play a few French festivals, oddly. Oh really? Yeah. That's not surprising. Really. <laughs> it's kind of 
French humor, perhaps? Yeah, it's about a giant butt. It kind of reminds me of, have you ever seen this Woody Allen film called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask? Oh, I have Classic heard that one. Woody Allen film where there's giant breasts uh, <laughs> running down oh, God. a hill. And Carlin's film has a giant S in That's it. That's right. So today I was on YouTube and I saw a trailer for a Woody Allen film called A Rainy Day in New York. Shut up. And it He's was still making movies. They're letting him make movies dude, still. Check, listen to the cast: Timothy Chalamet, Elle Fanning, <laughs> Liev Schreiber, Suzanne Smith, Selena Gomez. Okay, well, Will Rogers, Annalie Ashford, Jude Law. These are clearly in order of appearance. <laughs> Rebecca Hall. I mean, it's Holy like Diego shit. Luna. An insane cast, and it's for a movie that came out like last year that I've never heard of. I did hear about this because a lot of people, those a lot of those people got some, obviously Twitter, some grief. Twitter exploded on them. Uh huh. Woke Twitter. Yeah, I saw the trailer and it's like, it was the type of trailer where I was like, if it was on Amazon Prime right now and I could just hit play, I would probably watch the first twenty minutes. But right. I don't think I'm gonna like make a giant right. effort to go out to see He's it. Such an interesting case of you know, besides the terrible sexual abuse, just quantity versus quality filmmaking. Yeah. He just makes so many movies. But he also does prove that if you make a lot of stuff, eventually some of it will be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and some is, of it was incredible. Yeah. Even uh, Blue Jasmine I thought was incredible. Yeah. Well, even like Midnight in Paris overall has some very bad charming. acting in it and some weak moments, but there's just scenes or concepts or like ideas that you're like, oh, yeah, I guess the whole mm-hmm. movie was worth it for this mm-hmm. idea to watch it. So... Yeah, I enjoy his movies, and yeah, he's... You looked at me, I enjoy <laughs> his movies. Well, he's he's like a weirdo. The thing is, even before the sex stuff came out, I mean, he was married to his daughter already, right? And he was just, like, famously known to, like, not want to talk to people. Like, I think Scarlett Johansson, who he was, like, obsessed with, said she, like, walked down the street and saw him across, you know, the street in New York... And like waved to him and thought like, oh, hey, Woody, how's it going? And he just waved and kept walking. Like He didn't even stop and for a conversation. Wow. And I think he's kind of famous for not really saying much to his actors on set. But, you know, he hires the best actors in the world. So you don't need to tell them much. I will say ever since I had all this stuff came out in a big way, I, I won't pay to see his movies. Yeah. Vote with your dollar. Well, cool. Okay. Yeah, we got to move Let's on. Let's talk to Tony Franklin. I know Tony from Starbucks. Yeah. Is that how you really met? How long have you been working there? (laughs) Well, they do know our name. Um, Let's see. We met about maybe eight months ago there. Yeah. But Tony said, I think I had to just shoot it sticker on my laptop. And he was like, hey, I think I heard you on Jordan Brady's podcast. You had heard me on Jordan Brady's podcast. Yeah. And a DP that I've worked with, Eric Schleicher, he had mentioned your name and the podcast, so I guess I've been checking out the podcast for a couple of years now. Yeah. So not to be outdone, Tony was like, well, I've also been on Jordan Brady's podcast. <laughs> so would you call yourself a fan? I don't uh, think he's a fan. No. <laughs> no. I never asked wow. to be on. <laughs> well, it's well, too bad. We, we caught you. Yeah. yeah. No, well, no. great. Asking to be on has nothing to do with being a fan. Right. I think a true fan wouldn't ask to be on. Oh, yeah. Because they'd be, they'd think we're too good. Right. Mm. Right. For them. But uh, yeah, so we work there and I've been, Tony's like a commercial director also. 
and he used to work for Target, right? You were an art director there for eight years? Yeah, so basically I started out and they're like retouching and then I had the studio oh, like open. catalog photos? Yeah, no, like online digital stuff, you know. But then I had the studio open on the weekends. So I would just go in and create my own campaigns. And then I would make magazines. And I'd drop them off on creative director's desk. And so then I became an art director. And then I did that for about eight years. And then, you know, I just started, like, shadowing directors. You know, I'd just take vacation time. They didn't have to pay me. I'd just carry bags, whatever. And, um, like commercial directors, uh, more like photographers that were doing directing. They might like bring on a video shoot on the side of their photography thing, you know? Right. So I did that. And then basically I just, I, I just started making documentaries on the weekends, found a, a DP and I, you know, some good stories and, uh, just convinced post houses that they could have all the footage. And if they had an, an edit seat open, you know, they would just have their editors work on it for free. So I did about... Wait, um, why, what did they get out of it? Footage? Well, they could get, you know, they, they, they need stuff to talk about too. You know, like their monthly mailers or website updates. And I don't know. I, I think they just... And what part of the country is this in? That was in Minneapolis. Yeah, that was in Minneapolis. <laughs> okay, so yeah. post houses in Minneapolis are right. starving for footage. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, I, I got to thank them, though. Like, my first, like, 10 projects that I did, I self-produced with some other people, whoever was joining on that project, maybe the DP or a producer. But that's how I made, like, the first, you know, 10 things, all while I still had my day job at Target. And so I entered those into the one-screen show in New York, and I got shortlisted two years in a row and that same year, like, TheAtlantic.com picked me up as best short film of the year. And they get, like, tons of viewers, so. And what Be- was that that you made? Let's see. I think, well, the two that made it into the one-screen show, one was um, Miss Monroe. It's a, a short film about a drag queen performer. And the and other how one. how did you find that subject? We were at a restaurant. I was with some other film peeps. We were just talking. And all of a sudden, this, like, bingo thing started in the same room, but we weren't playing. So this drag queen performer just started making fun of us and so like i looked up and it turns out every wednesday night this thing went on so i went the next wednesday before they set up and i just wrote down my on, on the back of my business card you know like some other docs that i've done just so i wouldn't you know offend the the person and i mean it was a lot of those kinds of stories just like i i did this thing called the derby man he was a uh, like a 65 year old demolition derby driver and so to find him, I just would go to all these demolition derby things. It just came to mind because I went to one as a child. And so I would just buy pit passes and I would go back and just meet everybody. And then I found the derby man. So And then you just ask them like, hey, I want to do a documentary on Yeah, you. yeah. Do you give them an angle? Like you say like, hey, I th- well, obviously the older derby guy is interesting. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, like the drag queen, do you say like, hey, I'm like, well, I'm really interested in like what kind of person... Yeah, I mean, well, I also, I did one about outdoor pond hockey in Minnesota. It got, like, the staff pick or whatever. So, you know, it got a lot of views. So I had a lot of these banked up. And after you have, like, three or four stories built, like, they trust you, you know, just to do your thing. Who's they? Like a stranger? The the subject matters that you would find. Either through, like... But there's no way that, like, this driver guy had heard of one screen. No, no, no. Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean... That you wouldn't even bring it up because they wouldn't know exactly. But you just kind of like sit down and talk to them and just, you know, tell them what you do and 
you know, you're not charging them anything. It's free for them. And a lot of times, you know, these people, they're so passionate about their, their craft or who they are, or what they do, that they're excited to kind of talk about it. You know, maybe like Miss Monroe was really, it was really good for that person to share with his family what he did because they didn't live in Minnesota. They, they were like in Iowa or something. So it was a really connecting film. And the one about outdoor hockey, there's a guy that passed away and that's why we made the film. Um, we made it about him and like what he and this team and what they all meant to each other. So, you know, like his family came up when we spread his ashes on this pond this, that they skated on, you know, so. They, that, and that's not disrespectful? Well, that's what they wanted. Skating on your at someone's ashes? <laughs> no, yeah. It, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of how it started. I just made a bunch of these short films. And being in Minnesota, you know, I did. I didn't work in at Target. I didn't work in TV. I worked in the photo art direction. So you know, I didn't really know anybody. I was just really blind to like what I was getting into, even. So that that kind of that basically the the one screen show when I shortlisted there, I was against some big production companies. So they all just the second year they're like, who is this guy? So they they all emailed me, and I went to like have lunch or dinners with all of them, and so. That's kind of how I got started. Like, well, I can maybe do this or make money. Even so, I did. Yeah, I did the day job, and then kind of ran out of vacation time making commercials. And I was there. I think it was ten years. I was at Target, and so finally, I just quit one day. You know, and it's kind of the golden handcuffs, Minnesota. Like, that's a really good creative job. You know, and that's a good company to work for. But yeah, and then my my first year directing, like I said, I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me, so I was just kind of like, what do I do? Had these random, like, dirty documentaries, you know. So the first year, I just kind of I lived off soup that my parents made. made. You know, didn't make any money that first year. But then the second year, I started to learn more about the business and networking and just how to kind of, you know, it's not like L.A. where you can just set up meetings and go there or run run into someone at the coffee shop. You know, it's just it's just not like that, obviously. So... Uh, for the f- the second year, I I think I landed BMW, and that was kind of how it all started. Landed? What do you mean at BMW? Uh, I did their f- their first electric cars. I uh, did their Christmas commercials. Holiday. Your first commercial was a car commercial. No, no, no. I did. I think my first one was a stuffed animal commercial. Mm. You know, that first year I didn't make. It was just like whatever. You know, I'll. I'll direct whatever you know yeah. but did you like you didn't find like local companies that needed no that? no not too much i mean i did like you know the local banks and stuff like that through there's production companies in minneapolis you know there's some good ones um so i did some you know still like today i'm freelance you know i just freelance with local production companies well cool well you actually kind of brought up a lot of why i thought you would be a good guest on the podcast because i think i don't know if you realize this is that you're just like an amazing networker like even the way you think about relationships with people, like I don't know about you, Carlin, but like my first instinct when I speak to someone isn't like about how they're getting all this stuff out of me, like without it costing them anything. Like I think the way you approach people and relationships and meetings is like kind of unique and like really good in a way where you have an attitude of like, it's good for me to meet anyone. And also I, this person is going to get something from meeting me, right? You even told me yesterday that you don't put thank you pages in your treatment because you feel like it's like a two-way exchange where you guys are, you're giving them ideas, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope, I hope, you know, my thankfulness, I guess, 
comes through in my creative approach of what I say, you know, like that I'm excited and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think the creative is amazing and, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I feel like you're basically giving them this free work, you know, it's not, sometimes I say thank you, not always, you know, but I just feel like, you know, here you go. This is what, what I feel is the best approach for this job. And let's hop on a call and talk about it. Right. And I think you should also try to be the last person they talk to before they make the decision. So you try to like, well, okay, let, let's not get ahead because I, <laughs> I have questions about this. Yeah. But I think that's really interesting because it's the exact opposite of how my manager is pitching me for this TV show. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I am questioning. He like really is like, we got to get in early. We got to be top of mind, like get ahead of the, the competition. But I think that's like the easiest way to get forgotten. But well, anyway, we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, and also just to step back real quick, you know, I, I just moved to L.A. about 10, 11 months ago, and I've been directing full-time for about nine years. So I basically, you know, 90% of what's on my reel I did while living in Minneapolis. So, you know, there's that whole, like, do you have to live in L.A., you know, thing. And I actually think you you do. Like, I stayed in Minneapolis because I was taking care of some, some, some family. Otherwise, we would have been here, you know, long, long ago. But... The interesting thing is networking and short films, making passion projects and things like that. That was how I kind of connected with people is I would just make content, you right. know, short documentaries or even, you know, 30 second spots that I wouldn't put a logo on necessarily. But, you know, that was my way to reach out to people and kind of make it a two way street. Like here's something that I made, you know, I produced, wrote, directed it, gets their attention. So that's kind of how I... I develop relationships all over the country because living in Minneapolis, there's not only something you kind of had to. Yeah. Yeah. You had to get good at emailing. You had to get good at saying like, Hey, I'm a director. Yeah. Like, let me do this thing. Right. Cause that's, I mean, don't you sometimes Carlin feel like you don't want to ask an actor that's working a lot to be in your thing. Cause you're like, well, what are they going to get from it? But like, Mm -hmm. it's a much better attitude to be like, Hey, I'm going to make this thing for you. Yeah, Yeah. I was meeting with a producer recently commercial producer and she was kind of kind of like people want you are there are you kidding me they're like dying for female comedy directors she's like you have you should be the top of everyone's list right now it's like nobody wants me you know blah 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 (laughs) and she was like you have the wrong attitude yeah i think that's interesting yeah i mean it was it is basically the only way to survive really in the directing world because again i i didn't know anybody i would come to la and set up like in new york i would set up like five days straight of like three meetings a day, you know, in in LA. It's a lot in New York. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you got really good at, you know, taking all the subways and all that stuff and finding the cheapest hotels. And, but yeah, you'd, you'd be surprised if you like just say, hey, I want 15 minutes of your time, you know, usually. And I also like preface, like, I'm not looking to sign, you know, like this is previous years. This is you when know? you're emailing a production company and you're saying, I would, I would like to meet with you and just, for our listeners that aren't super versed in like this commercial language, when we talk about production companies in the commercial world, we're talking about companies that bid on commercials and that make commercials and that ultimately hire directors. Yeah, I would just say, look, I'm not, my reel isn't ready to be, you know, repped by you. So you're not going to break my heart by saying, you know, so just so you know, I'm not looking to come in and just be signed by you. So if you break down that barrier, that's one wall that they're like, okay, come on in, you know, just setting up a, a meeting now. So in five years, see where, where we're both at, you know, just so we, we know each other. Hmm. 
Mm. And then, you know, then you develop that relationship over five, six, seven years, and they start to follow you, pass your name around. And I mean, all the work that I've gotten is either a lot of my like branded doc stuff that I do is like someone will see some of my previous docs that I've, I've made. And they say, basically, like I did this thing called Driven by Bacon for Hormel. And they saw my Demolition Derby Driver documentary called The Derby Man. And they're basically like, we want that, but for this, you know. But the car has to run on bacon. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a a short film we did um, basically across America on a motorcycle and it runs on bacon grease. Not not a lot of Jewish motorcycle (laughs) riders with that bike. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, so a lot of of those, you know, I just, I did one for IBM about autism and they, they had, seen my my drag queen documentary and you know just kind of called me up and we just spoke for a couple hours and then did the treatment and the whole process and so a lot of the branded doc stuff that I do is coming from my previous doc world that I continue to make passion projects with but the commercial side is usually as you guys know is they see something on your reel that kind of reflects their brand Right. Okay. Well, you're speeding through all my questions. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm curious too. In the commercial space, what would you say you what What's like your lane or yeah. couple lanes that you're in? Um, definitely like emotional storytelling. This commercial, I just well, I did like I don't know, like 20 plus commercials for Etsy, and they're just very visually storytelling with some voiceover. But then I just did this job for xfinity last week um and it's much more a a mom's son story so it's a really emotional connection there so i would definitely say it's you know commercial storytelling is all about the emotion and so that's kind of where i fit in so like anthem kind of stuff you do anthem yeah like definitely in the sports world i do some anthem stuff but Mm -hmm. a lot more like tugging can you guys define anthem just for our listeners what you mean when you say that I guess I think of those spots during the Olympics, especially where um, the, there's that great like P and P and G yeah, one, mom, the moms, the Lance Accord one. Yeah, those, yeah. yeah, those are like classic anthem spots. So, yeah. like a montage that kind of I think of the anthem, like if you had a, made a campaign and we're going to make three different commercials for um, how you can travel around the world and eat at McDonald's and all these different places and get to know the place just from the type of burger they have or whatever. Um, that like maybe you'd make one for France and one for India and one for Hong Kong or whatever, but then you do an anthem one where that's like about someone traveling to all those places. Like to me, it's like the it's like orchestra music that builds yeah. and swells and has a like a beautiful climactic sort of moment of I don't know. It's basically a, a music video, yeah, for a brand. But it's like yeah. a montage that touches all the corners, right? Yeah, as yeah. opposed to like a very singular story mm-hmm. right I, yeah i think of it as... yeah i did some anthem work for gatorade and like academy sports just like in the sports world and it's all yeah. all very like you know the music is is what's driving it you yeah know, powerful visuals you know i guess i never thought of an i mean obviously an so anthem is driven. a song but yeah. if you had a montage of like a kid building their own time machine or whatever and they time traveled somewhere and they did something like even though it would have the same music as like an anthem, it wouldn't be an anthem because it's like a single. Unless there's like line. a really cool VO and and or and uh, composed music. Dramatic. Dramatic. I That's think what an we're anthem. getting to is that we don't know what anthem. Means. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, well, I just used it in my treatment today. That it's already been sent off, so it cannot be changed. And I do not think I used it the way you guys are using it. <laughs> um, I get in this conversation about what's a slice of life movie. Oh. That's a whole other conversation. What do you think it is? 
I basically think slice of life means like there's no story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes me mad. Like in the commercial or film? Film. Okay. Yeah. There's no story. Yeah. I feel like it's... Or at least it's yeah. not a classic three-act structure. Yeah. Slice of life. It's kind of like those Noah Baumbach films almost, right? Even though stuff happens, but it's like but real people are having real conversations. It's not like the but world marriage is story to ending. me, uh, maybe it is slice of life. Maybe it's good slice of life. Okay. So I'm, I kind of grew up in LA, but Carlin moved here from two, three years ago now? Over four years, from like Austin. four and a half. Why did you move? You said you've been directing for eight years, and I know you had reasons to stay in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Yeah. But why do you think, because a lot of our listeners, yeah, I feel like half of our listeners don't live in L.A. Yeah, why, I, um, why do you think it's important to move here? The big thing for me is just like the community, you know, like, for instance, how we met, you know, just in a coffee shop, you know, like that doesn't happen when you live in... I think I think you can always go back after you've developed like your connections here. But I think it's important and I think people start to take you a little bit more serious about your craft if you dedicate a, a portion a couple of years, 5 10 years to being here and just doing the meetings. Like I I I don't think there's any bad meeting. Like, you know, some of them aren't as good as others obviously, but you get those out of the way. But just like running into someone that's like, "Hey, come into Netflix or, or whatever." You need know, just you find these opportunities are so much easier to, to find just by like being in the community surrounded, you know, by other filmmakers too. Or as in Minneapolis, you know, you can, you can do it through email and phone calls, but it's, it's just never the same as being in person. Cause I'm hearing of like a lot of commercial directors moving to Portland. And when I say a lot, I've heard of three different ones. <laughs> so to me, that means like a lot, but it was all within like the past month. And they're all like, well, I can buy like an amazing house for $500,000 in Portland. Yeah. And when I'm a commercial director, I have in a good year, like 20 days of shooting in a bad year, like eight days of shooting, you know, like, yeah. So it's not like I actually have to be in and half the time those shoots aren't even in LA and I'm pitching over the phone. I'm writing treatments remotely. There's not that much that requires you to do your work to actually be in LA. And so I feel like a lot of commercial directors are moving out of L.A. because it's just like impossible to afford yeah. a house here. Well, I also think it depends if you're on a roster or not. If you're on a roster, usually they're, you never rely on the production company to do all of the legwork for you. But that helps a little bit, whereas I'm freelance, so I'm my own marketing and, you know, I'm my own networking. So just try to line up like, you know, at least five meetings a week. Yeah, this guy is insane. Damn. I mean, he's better. That's the thing. It's like you're the Tony Franklin production company, and you are much better at marketing Tony Franklin than like the companies that Carlin and I work with at marketing us. And that's what Carlin, you like officially left your yeah, where you I, were on the I roster, was right? on a roster for a little over a year recently. I've been. It was my third roster to be on fourth. Yeah. And I none of them have been particularly successful, obviously. And um, yeah, and I officially not, loved them. I mean, you worked with all of them. You've done work, right? Yeah, I would do like one or two jobs with each, and then would just nothing would happen after that. I was on a roster for about six months. Um, I did like uh, two years of Prina commercials, Prina Dog mm. Chow or whatever. So uh, I felt like I, I kind of other Dog Chow. <laughs> I felt like I kind of had to. S- they didn't pressure me. I wouldn't say that, but felt like I owed it to them to give them a shot. And so, and they're great people, and I still talk to them all the time, and we get along great. They were totally cool, just like, yeah, 
they felt just as bad as like you know as i did not working you know but do you believe that you are better at pitching you than probably most other people yeah i mean i definitely respect a lot of people that have helped pitch for me like freelance even like i've been like wow that was you know really impressive how they went about that whole pitch from start to finish you know there's tricks that you can develop like you, you know you find out who's on the creative call you know when you get on that first call you've got the you made the short list so you're going to do a creative call with their their deck and all that stuff and i right, find so out you're one of the so just a quick a lot of our listeners are not like in the commercial world so just oh okay yeah uh, over explaining some things but like so you got this opportunity to show your reel to an agency that's wants to do an ad campaign and they've picked you to be probably one of three directors right on yeah. this short list of directors that's going to pitch to them exactly yeah so uh, i find out who's going to be on that call and you know i look on facebook or if we have any mutual friends that are in the business that might be a colorist or you know i don't friend them on facebook obviously that'd be weird but you know, it's the first thing I do when I get on the call, because I feel like you win the job on the call, is just like, you know, after we introduce each other, everybody's kind of saying, you know, I don't know if you worked with this colorist, drop the name, and they're usually like, oh, yeah, we love him or her, you know, and that just creates a bond right away of like, we're all in this together kind of thing. So there's lots of tricks that you can do as your own marketing, your own pitching that can help develop relationships right away. Right. Well, so tell us a little bit about like why you want to be freelance versus like a signed director. Cause, so you're effectively freelance right now, right, Carlin? Yeah, I'm freelance now. I'm like taking meetings and I'm, I guess I'm hip pocketed at a couple places currently. Right. Yeah. Which, do you I, think people know what a hip pocketed means? Well, it's funny because I think of hip pocketed as a little more of like a TV film like agent term, like less a commercial oh. t- term, but it's, I mean, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Where people are, Doing work for you, like, unofficially. Behind the curtain. Like, if know. there's a job and you seem right for it, they'll toss it to you, but... Yeah, yeah like, they like three companies right now, I recently sent them all my stuff, and it's on their wire drive, and they have all my shit uploaded, so yeah. it's ready to go if... Right, and if I've already right been up for sense. a couple, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that's... I mean, and do they know about each other? Yeah, I think so, yes. Because I wanted to make sure that their reps aren't the same, because I didn't want to... Cause I guess I should explain that, but like, yeah, if, if I was on two, if I was hip pocketed at two companies that had the same reps and those same reps were putting me up for the same jobs, that might get confusing. So I just wanted to make sure that everyone knows. So it's kosher. Right. It's great to be freelance, but I also think the ultimate goal is to be on a, a roster where you fit in really well. And you know, it's like a family, you guys work towards all the marketing and, you know, I do think at some point that's the goal. So you think being signed is the better way to go? Yeah, I, I think once you develop your reel to the point where you can be on a roster and feel good about getting work with that roster, that's definitely the ultimate goal. And do you think it's like, so when I got my first manager here, I was trying to get an agent as a director, like a kind of regular Hollywood type agent. And I was like, oh, you know, I know this agent that works at this agency you've never heard of. And I know this and this and my managers were trying to get me into ICM or CAA or UTA. And I had like a couple meetings, but nothing really happened. And I was like, well, why don't we, I was like, you're literally taking me to the top agents in Hollywood. Like, why don't we go to the next level down? And they were like, dude, there's like 150 movies made a year in Hollywood. If they need a director, they're not calling the second tier of agents, you know? Yeah. Like if you're either at the top tier of agents or you don't need an agent. 
And so do you feel like there's a corollary like in the commercial world? Like either you're with this like signed on an amazing production company's roster or you're just freelance. Well, I mean, there's different levels of production companies too, though. Asking for a friend. <laughs> I would like to know your answer for this too. I don't know that tell I us. have the right. <laughs> tell us, Tony. <laughs> what is the magic? But I think there's like, if you can get on like a, a really good B-list, let's say, uh, production company, and you're the only one with that style of work on that roster, it doesn't have 30 directors on it, then it might be worth it. But if an A-lister comes out and they've got 60 directors on their roster, sure, it might sound appealing to be, you know. What's like an A-list company? Like a smuggler? Or like Yeah, a... ra- there's like boutique A-lists, and then there's like, you know, the big radicals and tool and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, it wouldn't make sense for someone like me to be on that roster because you'd be just drowning in all the, the director's a-list names you know so you kind of have to just find the right fit and i think that's like okay what what level of production company do i want to be at and what are the directors on their roster who are the reps you know all that kind of stuff yeah i really have to do the research to find the right spot and you know people do ask their you know to sign on rosters quite often um but i just feel like right now i'm just freelance is kind of where i should be yeah also i'm i wish somebody would have told me sooner that you don't have to sign. I didn't know that yeah. back in the day. And then also, like, the last roster I was on, they wanted me to do two years. Oh, yeah. And I talked to Tim Nakashi, <laughs> and yeah. he was like, no. No, six months. That's so funny. I just showed Tony my contract with my company, and he's like, it's six months, right? I was like, uh, no, I think it's two years. He's like, nah. And I looked it up, and I was like, yep, two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's standard. And I guess like, that's what they try to get you to like, sign. Tony was like, don't. Why did you sign that? Don't do that. Because <laughs> it's like, well, they, they pitch yeah. you so hard, and you're like, well, I guess well can i tell you so and you probably heard a similar thing but when i signed with the company i'm with now superlative was when they were called the famous group they they had hip pocketed me they actually got me like a wendy's spot before i was like officially signed with them and they got me another spot too that i ended up like having a conflict and couldn't do and they're like look Oren, you know we obviously we can get you work and it, at the time they were like really hooked up with like Wendy's with the, the agency that was doing all their stuff. Um, they're like, but why would we like invest to like go to agencies and show them you're real and talk to reps and get you on phone calls and get you meetings and like really pimp you out if you are not committed to us? Right? Yeah. And that's what you get when you sign. Right. You know, so that's why you have to decide, do you want to get the hustle on for yourself or do you trust this? this company is going to pay your mortgage. Right. You know what I mean? And because it's, I think the two year thing, or at least a year is because they're like, look, you're not going to sign today and then we're going to get a million jobs tomorrow. No. We're going to have to introduce you to everyone and it's seasonal and sometimes there's more jobs and sometimes less jobs and sometimes what you do is in trend or out of trend or like they're looking for a certain type of director at a certain time. So they're like, we need that time to figure you out and yeah, but I guess that mortgage thing is the question. Like how... Do you pay your mortgage when, like, you get five jobs in one month and zero jobs in five months? Yeah. You know, I do think, like, also the timing of signing is important. You don't want to sign in, like, um, November. Why? Well, it like you said, it takes time to get it going, right? So everything shuts down in the holidays. So you're really probably not even dealing with reps until middle, end of January. By then, that's three, you know, whatever, how many months, and, you know, you're just sitting there. And you don't know what they're doing, you know? Right. So, and you can't really blame them because everything shuts down, agencies and stuff like that. So I think it's important to sign like 
beginning of the year, second quarter, maybe third quarter, but not in fourth quarter. Well, so I want to ask you, let's say you are a new director and you've made some spec spots. You have like a, you want a student Oscar for your short film from film school or something like that. A, how do you find production companies? Because like, you know, you, you named Radical Media or Tool, you know, Directors Bureau. There's a few companies that are kind of famous that maybe yeah. our listeners have heard of. But in general, production companies of commercials are not famous. So how do you find production companies and then how do you get meetings with them? Well, I think for me, it started with who are the directors that like I looked up to um, find those directors. Like commercial directors. Yeah. And how do you find commercial directors? Like you just go to Vimeo or Um, iSpot.tv or you watch TV? You're constantly directing as a director, right? So whether it's through Instagram or through uh, websites or, you know, you see a spot on TV, like who did that? Try to google it find it i spot whatever but basically i just find the directors that i feel like wow that's who i want to you know emulate or be at that level of success especially with the style that they have and go to their website um even like i'm not a comedy director but even comedy directors go to different websites go to their contact page see who they're rep by follow the rabbit hole you know until you get to a point where you get a contact you know that you want to meet just store 50 contacts of like, this is who I'm going to, I'm going to, who, who is the person at a production company that you should contact? The I executive mean, producer? It, when I first started out, it'd be the people at the front desk. I don't care. Like they could get you a meeting. So, you know, especially if you're, if you're not from LA and you're just out here for a week trying to do meetings, you just hustle the whole time, just wherever you can get a meeting, get a meeting. And again, you know, can you just walk us through. Cause I think this is like the real core of, of what people will get out of this. Like, you're in, sure. in Minnesota. You're going to come to LA for a week. You yeah. want to have, you want to set up 10 meetings. Yeah. You have made some documentaries. You worked in advertising. You have like a couple commercials. How do you find some directors you like and you find their production companies there at? Well, that's, that's one way. A lot of it is I was studying production companies like as a job, as a second job. Um, at my day job, I had pretty much at Target at the time, my last couple years there I was really enjoyed working there but kind of worked myself out of a job like I created all these documents as an art director that people could just google almost like google docs Mm. of like how to shoot everything so I you know with the iPhone everything I just started searching production companies and I would just find like 10 15 a day that was like my goal maybe more less or whatever but Basically, then I'd go home at night, and I would have this. I have this email that I showed you, um, just a short, quick, uh, like six sentence email. That's basically so this is kind of genius, Carlin. I don't know if you're. I wasn't going to bring it up because I don't know if it was a secret or not. But Tony basically has like an email that introduces himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cold email, but I change it based off of to add a little bit more personality based off of someone that I'm either contacting or that company. You know, something that I like on their website or their directors or their general roster or and then I just say, you know, just like 15 minutes of your time. I'm not looking to sign. I just want to introduce myself I'm from Minneapolis, former art director, or creative at Target. You know, just kind of give them some, you know, and you, like you might like this film or this film or this film. You just type out the St. Paul kid and put a link right there so they can just click on it. So they just can get to like five things right from that six sentence email Mm -hmm. to see your work you don't take up too much of their time and you don't send them a reel right like no no just 
just send them that that quick email and and it's fine if you want to share it or whatever but it's basically just a short way to get a meeting so you just line up it's almost like a mini bio of yourself right yeah yeah like hey i'm carlin hudson i had a short at south by last year i have a short this year i did a feature there i just did a commercial campaign for whatever golf ball company or whatever it yeah, is yeah. and then love I'd, golf balls. I'd love to have 15 minutes of your time and honestly and sometimes most of them respond yeah i was just gonna say sometimes within an hour i'm on the phone with them like it's unbelievable like how open people are if you just try wow uh, not every time on you know the phone calls are rare but they might see something on that email that they have a board for on their desk and they'll call you and say hey are you it doesn't say you're repped by anybody can we put you up for this job well do you add do you say give me a call or do you say no no i think that the biggest call to action that i say at the end of it is you know if a job comes up that fits my my style or i'd love to work with you you know basically you have a, a call to action at the end so it gives them something to to oh, yeah. work off uh, of. i'd love to work with you if the right opportunity presents itself yeah exclamation you think it's okay to Ooh. to be in contact with so many different production companies like it's fine well i think you know he's not saying like anything like i want to be with you i know it's just so it's just yeah it's fascinating because well, i'm just talking to like three right now and i already feel like oh god i'm cheating on all of them i'm very open about it yeah like i i, I just like they need that specific director for their boards that come in they need we're a commodity like mm-hmm. if they need a peanut butter jelly sandwich and you've got the peanut butter jelly sandwich they're Just gonna go with some peanut butter spots <laughs> oh jiff jiff oh yeah. i did jiff what did you do was it for funny ellen funny or die oh yeah cool i hope it was funny but they they need that specific reel these days you know so that's yeah. why um but then again you know after a while it, it can find that you're saturating yourself mm-hmm. so if you feel like you know your board has gone through an advertising an agency's desk or your work has gone through that same agency five times in a month, they're not going to ever hire you. They're like the dude's everywhere, you know? Oh, you mean like from five different production companies? N- different jobs, but yes. You right. know, like, so I, I guess right. I've BBDO definitely... sees Tony Franklin, keeps being submitted by all these different companies. They're like, yeah. this guy's yeah, but flighty. More directors that I talk to than ever are like, I mean, even if they own their own production company, they're being repped in the Midwest by someone else you know, a whole other production company. Hmm. So I think it's okay as long as you kind of spread it out the right way and you don't overlap as far as like, you make sure that it's very important that they reach out to you and ask you before they submit you. Yeah. Because it's only better for everybody. How do you, do you say that in your email? No, that comes like after, this email is very, yeah, 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 yeah. But then, you know, also I think it's important to, every time I get an email that I think is relevant, I, I save and put in my my MailChimp. It sounds cheesy as can be, but I send the MailChimp out, let's just random numbers, 1,000 people, let's just say. It'll get open 2,000 times because they share it throughout, you know, maybe their whole agency. And you can find the stats in the back of your... I know, right? What? Yeah, you can know, find... Tony has all these tools that seems, you, it seems so obvious to you, Tony, but like... Well, I've never so, thought of this. Well, so what you do is... Like, people talk about it for feature films all the time, right? Like, oh, you should have a mailing list, you should have a fan yeah. base, you should have this. Like, Emily Best, Seed and Spark, blah, 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 blah. But, but yeah, the but best thing about it, though, is... Tony if, is saying do it for yourself as a human being. Yeah, so I send it out, usually, like, with one passion project and one paid project. I send it out every so often. I, it's not every like, month. 
like four times a year type yeah like yeah every quarter ish yeah but what happens is so what you can see is the analytics of it you can go okay well this person and what do you say it's just like hey what's up i directed these things and these yeah things. again available. short short mm-hmm. very very to the point and you know try to keep it you know as positive as can be and fun and right had a shitty year hoping you could yeah. change that uh, can't pay my rent need a job right. no but the thing is, is the analytics of it is where it comes into key is like okay let's say this person at pretty bird opened it 12 times well they don't know that i know that so what i'll do is i'll follow up in a week say hey i'm not sure if you saw my mail cha- you know my latest news but this is kind of where i'm at these days you know and love to meet with you and so it's just kind of this rotating circle of networking through putting your stuff out there. Yeah, I signed wow. up for Tony's email list so that I can Ooh, his I next blast. I can yeah. see what he does, yeah. so I can copy it. And I, you know, I work with writers. I'm, you know, I work with writers to help me kind of craft. Even that email that you saw was written by a, you know the writer that I work with all the time. We work very well together. Obviously, we've been we've been working together for like five years together now. Um, so she really knows my style and my angle of everything, and we work in the you know the same room together. So it's I it's kind of co-written, like even my treatments and stuff. But, but is it like you write it and she does a pass on it, or um, she writes it and you do a pass? So basically, the, the call like I don't know if we should explain this, but you know the the call that you do with the agency is recorded. Mm-hmm. I give her that. Uh, that phone call. But you're talking about a treatment. Yeah. You're saying you use her for everything, everything. even an email. Yeah. Even like like how we kind of talked that one day is very similar. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. How I showed you I want to email my production company and you're like, gave me some advice on how to say things a little nicer. Yeah. I've done that with you too. Oh, yeah. I yeah. do that. I, because I get nervous about sending emails, you know, sometimes that are important to me. They might not be at all important to the person on the receiving end, but to me, it's like, it's very important. important. So, so yeah, you just reach out, like, like I said, you know, you find people that have looked at your MailChimp, you know, 30 times or, or four times, whatever, you know, but anything like over two or three, I'll follow up again. Maybe not always with another, like, Hey, this is my news. If you haven't seen it, just keep in touch, try to set up an in-person meeting. Hey, I noticed you opened my email 12 times on the 11th of February. (laughs) Um, Definitely not. (laughs) And that's so interesting. Yeah. And then you just started out with like, hey, I'm Tony. I'm a commercial director. You know, I like love the stuff you're working on and just wanted to make a connection. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. I just, like I said, I have that email that I send out that's just, you know, I change up a little bit based off the person or the company. Um, But that usually is how I get the first interaction. Do you email the EP or the or a producer or just whomever is on the website? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever like, email more than one person in a company? Mm, I might have, but I, I don't... You try to avoid that? Yeah, generally not. Usually you just go to the EP or, you know, it's good to just go after the, you know, the producers because mm. the EP is just not going to open your email. But then, you know, you start meeting everyone and they pass your work around and that's just how you generate more meetings. Yeah, it's crazy. I know because... I would be at Starbucks and Tony's like, oh yeah, I got a meeting with this company. This guy, I got a meeting with this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I've been here for like 15 years and I don't have any meetings with anyone. You must just, you must have kind of figured out a way to contact people and successfully too. Cause I mean, I feel like there was times in my career when I 
was going through these phases and wasn't getting responses. <laughs> so I, either like my work wasn't, your work is obviously great. So I don't know if that makes a difference. I think it does make a difference. It's like if you seem like a cool, genuine person, the work's good. Yeah, fuck yeah. Why wouldn't you respond? You also have this like combination of being super nice and respectful, but also confident kind of boastful at the same time not and to lack a <laughs> like better word horse a door well um <laughs> no, no so can i can i read the subject line of your email oh sure yeah so the subject line is director of bmw etsy prudential pizza hut wired ibm and more like that's kind of like uh hey i've done all the brands right well i mean just like a commercial you want to start you, know, you want to grab their attention right away mm-hmm. but then in your first your second line of the email is like i hope you don't mind me reaching out so it's like kind of like nice and polite and like saying like midwest yeah <laughs> saying like i i appreciate your time right yeah um, i mean i think it all goes back to like living in minneapolis for the last eight years and trying to make it as a hollywood director you know you gotta just use your strengths you know and that goes from just connecting with you know so when i got out here uh, 11 months ago or whatever like you know I had eight eight years of email connections that I've never met in person right when I got here it was just like non-stop you know and then it kind of slowed down and now I'm back into it again and how important do you think this meeting someone in person is huge huge man they they can't tell your passion for what you do or just your you know ease to work with based off an email or a phone call you get in the I mean I'm much more passionate when I get these meetings and you and I hanging out at Starbucks, you know, working on our stuff, catching up. So I think you show them that level, that energy, and they respect that and they, they kind of want to be around it. So, but even though when you told us about getting commercial jobs specifically, you think the phone call is really like where you're winning these jobs that you're able to show your passion and excitement. Yeah. I mean, cause you're not going to go meet with the agency, right. Until you win the job. Right. So on that phone call, you got to come with 10 ideas, you know, that, that five ideas. I just have a list right next to my computer, all the pluses I've got already. And then just like, you know, show your energy level about when it. When you say pluses, you mean you've read their script and here's five different ways that we can make it yeah. exciting. Yeah. More exciting than what they wrote you. Yeah. And again, trying to connect with people that they know that you know that they've worked with just so you have that commonality. And then just the, your approach about being collaborative because a lot of these you know projects these agencies have sold to their client they've been working on for six months you know mm-hmm. and so they're finally at the point where this this thing's going to happen so there's a lot of like risk involved with picking the right director so you got to make sure that your insurance for them to do a good job is in that phone call and you know your ideas that they haven't thought about not that they're not good ideas already on paper that they have but they're so you know blinders on a little bit because i've been working on the same thing for so long right well what do you guys think about like this idea of plussing there right so you get a script from the agency they're like hey we want this lady to take an alka seltzer and then she can lift up a car or whatever and then you get on a call to talk about it and you're like oh instead of a car what if it's like you know a house but then to your point tony they've been working on this campaign for six months they've decided it should be a car and should be all these things yeah how do you approach pitching on someone else's script and like plussing it without throwing away their creative ideas well i think a lot of these jobs have been researched so deep that sometimes you can't change it you know so i always just start off with like i don't know 
Like, I'm sure that's been put through focus groups and et cetera, you know, that to the point of where I probably can't stray too far, but, you know, here's five ideas. I don't know if they fit into it, but I just wanted to throw them out there and see what you think. And, you know, it could be as simple as like, well, like for this last job that I did with Xfinity, the spot ends with the guy at, at his home and he's just alone. I was like, well, what? he's got to have like a rescue dog or something just to make liven up the spot. Dogs and kids always win, you know. And also just, just simple ideas like that. They just that they're not attached to, but that shows that you have something to bring to the table. Right. right. In it's the like end. Plusing yeah. it without changing their concept. Yeah. Do you do that, Carlin, like on the call? Yeah, because I, I think when I was starting out, I, I would either not bring enough because I was like, I want the job, so it's perfect yeah. and I love mm-hmm. it. Or I would go too far and I do think there's a balance. Yeah. There I've is. definitely done that. Like my first big commercial pitch was for this Western Digital campaign and it was like this awesome campaign. It was this really good idea. It was like a video of like a bride and her dad dancing at their wedding and then the camera pulls out and then as it pulls out that video turns into like a picture on like a lost sign that's like on a like a telephone pole in the middle of a city and like it gets real quiet and sad <laughs> and it's like Jesus. western digital never lose your f- most important moments <laughs> you know because it backs up to the cloud it was for these cloud drives oh, and it was right. like it was like this kid playing on something and then you pull out and they're like on a milk carton <laughs> like pictures dark. of it but it was, it was i kind of loved it and it was like perfect for me because like vfx and like cool moments and just super simple and i just pitched to them i like went all out i photoshopped all this stuff i mean Compared to my treatments today, it was like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, it was like the most I'd ever done for a job. And then when I didn't get it, the agency was like, yeah, you didn't plus it. You didn't add anything. You just gave us our idea. Yeah. Photoshopped. <laughs> like, we can do that too. And I was like, oh, I guess you have to plus ideas. And then I did, I've done that other thing where I'm like, okay, your idea of Power Rangers parody is cool, but look at this way better, like weirder YouTube yeah. thing we can do and they're like that's great you know you don't have have the job right (laughs) yeah i'll say like you know it's great for the commercial side but i also do like the branded doc storytelling for like brands or whatever and that's where you can you just kind of be honest and be like look we're we're gonna have to i don't have all my ideas developed yet because we don't really even know who we're shooting where or you know there's kind of a rough idea picked out and maybe they've got the talent already because i've researched who the talent would be but a lot of that, they tend to like what you've done in the past, some sort of documentary that I've done in the past where they were like, we, we really like that kind of tone. So that's, but the commercials, you definitely want to try to plus as much as you can. Can I tell you, I just got a job. I just won a job and it was, it's kind of like a fake docu style thing. Basically, it's going to be some influencer starring, but they don't know who it is. And depending yeah. on who it is, it totally changes what the entire mm-hmm. spot is. And I just pitched them like basically two totally different approaches we could take to in shooting it and how we could shoot it i'm like we can do it like this this is why i like this version but another way we can go is this and i wrote basically like two different pages one on one idea and one on another idea and then i had two different mood boards basically for each idea and then i ended up winning the job and i heard that they they're like oh we like that he had a few different ways to approach this and i'm like I feel like I would never pitch more than one idea because you want to be like as a director decisive yeah but sometimes having a lot of ideas is like what they like about you and sometimes it's not Hmm. I guess it's like there's no yeah you definitely like read the temperature of the creative and and you can kind of feel it on the phone call in the first five minutes or whatever you know they usually read the creative concept to you to start the phone call and you can kind of feel how attached they are to it or not so 
sometimes you might have five or ten ideas written down, but you just don't hit them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we should probably wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask, as long as we're stealing all of your genius, what do you think the most important part of a treatment is, like a written treatment? Let's say so you have the opportunity to pitch on a job, commercial job, and your answer might apply also to like a film or TV job as sure. well, but what do you think? How do you, how do you start a treatment? What's the most important part? Well, I think one of the, the ways I feel like I've been successful with that is, you know, they know what their creative is. We kind of talked about that. So creating some sort of hook in that first paragraph, the intro, or this is your story in my vision or, or whatever, that first paragraph has to have kind of your own hook about it. So it's not anything maybe even to do specifically with the creative of the idea, but you're developing the character. Do you think it has to be personal, like a personal story? Like, I, when I was a kid, I used to always go to well, the rodeo. For the documentary I did for IBM about autism, like, I told them that, you know, there's people in my family that are on the spectrum, and, you know, like, I've done very sensitive documentaries with real people, and I know enough about autism that um, I'm going to use the Interatron but I'll Skype with them for months before the shoot. So then when we use the Interatron, it feels like we're Skyping. What's the Interatron? Yeah. Is that the Errol Morris thing? Yeah. So it's basically instead of a lens, they're seeing a, an image a of teleprompter. you. teleprompter? Yeah. So it feels like we were Skyping, you know. Right. And so I got really close to them for months before the shoot. Just once a week we get on Skype with all four, four of the subjects. Do you guys know, do you know Eric Zimmerman? He's this DP. No. He invented. He shot like a lot of Errol Morris and stuff, but he kind of know a lot of people in common. But he um, supposedly he invented this thing, um, which is basically yeah, you you connect the video feed of your camera to a teleprompter, and the video feed of the second camera to a teleprompter, and you put them on the opposite cameras from each other, and so you when you're looking into your camera, you're seeing their face. When they're looking into their uh-huh. camera, they're seeing your face. So it's like you're face to face with someone. But, but there's like two yeah. cameras in between you. So in, it's called what? An, an Interatron? Inter- inter- I don't know. Like it's, an interview? Yeah. Tron? But the thing is, is like they're different all over the country and world because no one's really, from what I know, I mean, I'm not a DP, um, has really made one that's like legit. Perfect. Yeah. So they're all a little bit, every time I've used it, like I've, we use the camera on my, my computer and then it goes to another camera. I don't really know how it all works. Um, but there's different systems like everywhere you go. Right. I guess it doesn't matter on your end because you're not being recorded. It right. only matters on their end. I don't see them. Right. You know. And generally, it's best to be in a separate room with a microphone. Then you put a speaker right underneath the lens of the camera that they're seeing their your face on. Oh, so that they're not tempted to, to look, look away. Off. Yeah. And you can still, like, agency can still have their headphones on and hear everything, you're, you know, all the questions and answers and stuff, too. But it works right. best if you're in a separate room. You Whoa. just did like a docu commercial like a little while ago, right? For that book. Yes, I did. Did they were people looking into the lens or uh, right off the lens? Yeah, I was. They were talking to me. I was kind of in. Yeah, my like, voice and stuff was on it. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just talked. All to about me Carlin. Camera. Every Carlin commercial, <laughs> it's just like Carlin's talking. That's right. That's my intro to companies. So I am. The you subject. are the commercial. I'm the commercial. <laughs> I feel like. My problem with commercial directing is I have both docu work and comedy, and mm-hmm. I kind of don't know how to like pitch myself always. But do you do you care? Do you think that even matters? Yeah, I think like you know you're 
I don't know specifically because I haven't seen the two sides of your work. But sure. um, for me, I just have, you know, I do a lot of like branded docs storytelling, mm-hmm. but I focus a little bit heavier on the commercial side. Um, I love doing my passion projects with, you know, short films and stuff. I think if you go to the documentary section on my website, I think it's like half paid and half passion driven projects. Um, but then on the commercial side, it's much more like brands that have paid, you know. So but when you reach out, are you like, I'm a this kind of director or no? I think if people gravitate towards your doc stuff, they consider you the doc person. But if they gravitate towards your commercial stuff, they focus more on that. So mm-hmm. I think each producer that reaches out has kind of coined me as one or the other. Yeah, and I have people fine. that reach out to me like, oh, you're great with reality. Like, let's, and I'm like, yeah, I did like one kind of reality <laughs> thing, but I think it just depends. I mean, not that, not that you're for. asking me, but I think I am asking you. Yeah, yeah. If you, well, the two priorities are like a: what are those people? What do those people do? So maybe aim towards that. But if they do everything, then just more what you want to do. But I, already, I hear in my question that I could reposition it to like. Instead of, I need to choose, it's like, look at all these things I can do for you. I can do these two different things. Aren't you lucky? Yeah, well, it is interesting because I talk about Abby Fuller all the time. She was a, one of our first guests on the podcast, and she told us a quote she heard from someone else when she was working in MTV, where someone told her, if you tell people you can do everything, then they won't hire you for anything. And she was always really into food, and so she told them, like, if you ever have a show about food, please call me. And then she... You know, that's why she's doing Chef's Table now. But she was doing, um, you know, like an MTV docu-series about culinary school. She basically just kept telling people, like, anything food-related, I'm your person. Even though she didn't have experience in that, but she was the food person. On the flip side, like, I know it's superlative. Like, I did this commercial last year that takes place in a front yard, like in a residential street. And they're like, oh, this is so great. You didn't have any families on residential streets. And there's so many commercials like that. So now you have it. Um, you know, so it's like, <laughs> it's like kind of, you have everything, but I like what Tony's saying, which, and it seems like you could say the same thing. Cause I think of your work, Carlin, as kind of like, um, like emotional storytelling also. I mean, it, le- it skews more comedic. Um, but all my narrative work is comedic and that's, what's confusing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. I feel like my doc work is a little bit grittier, obviously, than my commercial work, but I feel like there's a connection of the emotion mm-hmm. behind the storytelling. If it's happy or pulling at the heartstrings, or, or I feel like there's some sort of connection there. Okay, so final piece of advice. New director wants to get into commercials. What's the first thing they do? I think it depends on their style, but, you know, sometimes emulating something that you really like out there to kind of learn how to direct. Um make it your own obviously but that's a good way to start and also don't be afraid to ask for favors from production companies like post houses and stuff like that to help get your work done um, unless you're a great editor and colorist and all that stuff but you know a lot of times they 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 have newer editors that you know want the, the footage just to work with too so it's good ways to get your stuff you know the post-production side done did you edit your own stuff when you started out, Carlin? Yeah, I don't anymore, but I used to, yeah. My first couple jobs were editing, really, like assistant editing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's different for everyone. You know, I think there's different classes you can take, too, like Jordan's class. 
Um, All right. The directing boot camp? Yeah. I signed up for the very first one that he ever had, like, five years ago. So I had the credit. I had never taken it, so I took it, like, a month ago. But it's it's fantastic. Like, it's gold if, you, if you've never... Even if you're in your first, second year directing or whatever, or however long. Like, I'm in my eighth, ninth year, and I took it, and I enjoyed it, you know? Huh. Does he talk about how to get jobs? Yeah, I mean, he kind of, it's like, you know, it's it's a really long, good day of learning about directing, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's I, I should have taken it years ago, you know? But yeah, and he has some guest speakers come in. So there's there's outlets like that, some classes you can take, and, you know, online classes, like I... I, I watch master class all the time, just like learning more about agencies and writing techniques and Yeah. Freaking my master, master class. class. No, it my subscription Ex- expired. God, I'm so oh. sorry. <laughs> it's crazy you can't just get another one. Well, maybe you watched everything. <laughs> the thing is if you spent like two hundred bucks or whatever it was on a subscription for one year, yeah. And you never used it, but you really, really wanted to would you spend another 200 bucks to renew it for the next year? I don't know, because I got a free one for a year, and I never used it. Oh, yeah. Well, I did exactly what you're saying. Was like, I bought it, like, two years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. when I first started, and I watched nothing. And then, like, I think a couple weeks ago, I was about to get on an airplane, and I was like, oh, I wonder. And so I don't know if I paid for it again or if it's <laughs> – I'm not sure it's working. <laughs> on your but, credit card, you're like, yeah. there's $200. Yeah. But, I mean, even, like, the one with – you know the agencies and stuff. It's What's the agencies? There are agencies one? on Masterclass. Uh, yeah, it's it's gold bean silver. Oh oh, ad agencies. Yeah, ad agencies. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. It's is it Ogilvy? I forget. What? Gold. It's the one. There's only one agency on there. Gold bean silver. I don't remember. Could be. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. So yeah, but the the writing classes. There's tons of writing classes. Yeah, I, on I did. I watched Aaron Sorkin's, which I thought yeah. was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's worth it. Like. Yeah. Oh, and I watched Ron Howard's. Oh, how was yeah. that? Did you learn how to direct? No. <laughs> I learned how to be on Happy Days. Right. Um, yeah, I'm watching no, that one. it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a lot of talking. You know? It is, yeah. But somebody told us, someone was on the podcast, and they are like, download them to your phone and just listen to them while you're driving, because there's a lot of stuff that's, that's not that yeah. visual. I, yeah, I did that, too, actually, mm. just for the airplane. Just listen to it. Because you yeah. can turn your phone, like, shut it, you know, to the dark screen, and it still plays. Right. Well, should we talk unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. Well, so first of all, I want to correct an endorsement. I believe I made a couple episodes ago where I talked about Sam Mendes writing 1917. You know, it's based on very, very loosely based on like stories his grandfather told him from World War One. And when I mentioned that, somebody sent me a message on Instagram and said, Hey, dude, uh, he wasn't the only writer. It was also written by Christy Cairns. Correct. So Danielle Borgi wrote me. I think she listens to the podcast and she told me. Yeah, thanks for for the question. Christy Cairns. My endorsement is look things up before you say things. Well, it's kind of a weird endorsement. It's kind of an honor of Tony. If you have director friends or colleagues that you haven't talked to in a while, like just text them when you're just sitting down watching TV and say like, hey, what's up? What are you working on lately? Because I think it's so easy to like lose touch with people that you haven't talked to in a while. And I did that last night. Um, I texted this director I used to work with at Disney like years ago. And I was like, hey, what's what's going on? I was just watching something that reminded me of you. What are you up to? And he told me about all this random stuff he's doing, but he 
showed me this video that he saw on YouTube, which was actually, this is going to be my endorsement. It was a, a video of the CEO of Patreon sending a video message to Casey Neistat because he had an idea for him. And the video itself is just like this excellently made, like homemade video. Like I think he shot it on his iPhone or on like a 5D or something. But this guy just shot it totally by himself in his office and he edited it so well. And like the sound effects are, are so good. And it totally, I was working on this treatment about like this kind of selfie looking video. And it just gave me all these ideas for my treatment that I would have never gotten if I didn't just like randomly text my friend. So I think just in the spirit of Tony and also Natalie Metzger, who was on our podcast, who just told us to like email people to congratulate them when you see good news about them, just reach out to people and start a conversation because you'll never, you never know like what like awesome ideas or good projects or interesting things come from it. So if you're listening to this right now, text someone that you've worked with two years ago and ask them what's up. That's, that's what I got. Carlin, what do you have? I'm going to recommend the Calm app for meditating. <laughs> I've done Headspace before, but I think Calm is really calm the better. one. Yeah, it, I paid like 50 bucks for it. One time fee? Yeah, for a year. But I do feel like meditating is sort of changing my life. Yeah? In Not, a good way? In, a, in, a, in an amazing way. It has ripples throughout all aspects of my life and definitely helps with work. And being able to concentrate and to not react and to notice things as they're happening. But this app is really cool in particular because there's tons of different teachers. And so you can try out different methods. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've used, I have Calm on my phone. And it's you been, do it every it's day. been recommended before. Yeah. The one thing I got from trying meditating and stuff is the like idea of not worrying about things, you know, and like realizing like if you don't figure out a problem that you're thinking about right now it's not gonna like ruin your the rest of your life and just like about focusing on your breathing and just like kind of letting everything out of your brain Mm -hmm. and i've done that sometimes when i'm like really anxious or upset about something i'm like yeah i I can i'm allowed to not think about it and it's kind of just a way to help you not think about things that are stressing you out yeah we live in a very stressful time and we have a stressful career and you have to find ways to cope with all that. Tony, what do you got? I did mention a couple already. It's uh, Jordan Brady's class. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then... Um, it's called give, Directing um, Bootcamp. Yeah. And doesn't bootcamp. he give a couple scholarships to, like, minorities and yeah, women and like stuff? Yeah, kind of underrepresented people. Right. Yeah. And I think it, once you take the class, you're an alumni, so you can go back for, like, $50, like... Oh, if you want to take it want. again? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. cool. So, and he actually does this, like, Sunday mixer. Yeah. Now. The classes are on Saturdays, and now... And like the Sunday after, he has this mixer where people can hang out and he has a panel of professionals. So I actually went to the mixer this last, it was just a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. And they had, he had like an EP from a commercial company. He had a woman that owns a post house and he had this uh, other director and she does like a ton of international work, commercial director. Cool. It was cool. Oh, and there was another guy there, a DP, director DP guy. And then, you know, this is, it's funny, like, Netflix, I use it all the time for making treatments. I just go full screen, like to get to get images, mm-hmm. because it's you know generally the movies are all colored, the right. same tone, four K. Yeah, and so since it's in the same color tone, it's the same. Like you could do a whole treatment just off of one movie that kind of feels in the tone of your treatment. Um, that and then I go to Behance dot net mm-hmm. to get images there too. Yeah, that's Adobe's. What's that? Adobe's How do you spell Behance? that? B-E-H-A-N-C-E. 
Uh, so those are some good and uh, uh, upsplash. Oh, I don't Unsplash. Know I forget. It's bookmarked on my computer. It's another good place to get beautiful yeah. free images and pictures. Unsplash. Cool. So you can just you just like full screen on your laptop an image from Netflix and then use that in the treatment. It's high res enough. Yeah, and you can just scroll through. Yeah. You know, use Chrome. I think it only works on Chrome. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you can just scroll through the movie so fast, you know, that you can find the right images and need the shot in the kitchen or the shot outside or whatever. Um, but the, the thing is... You kind of told me about this, I guess. Well, but, I just pulled a bunch of stuff from Stranger Things when I had to like freaking steal yeah. it you off the it internet and it was like premiere. low res and yeah. But Netflix, I think everything's 4K because I know yeah. you can't, you couldn't shoot on Alexa for a Netflix show right. for the longest time. Yeah, and I think the last thing is, you know, once you've won the job as a director and you've kind of done your tech scout and you got those images from your your scout, it's really handy to like go home that night or whatever in your hotel room or whatever and create like an animatic with the dialogue. So then when you show up to the pre-pro meeting the next day, it's like your first like thing that you're giving the agency so that it just kind of helps everyone go, wow, this guy, girl is, you know, totally into this. And, you know, is he or she's already got it kind of timed out and everything with the dialogue. They Everyone feels like a little bit more at ease going right. into that. It's funny. I always, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I make those animatics to show the agency that their script is too long. Yeah. And then they're always like, is. oh, you fit it. Good job. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm showing you how bad this is. And they're like, no, it's fine. Right. Like, Okay. Okay, cool. If we want to find out more about you, Tony, what's uh, TonyFranklin.com or have you probably already emailed us? At TonyFranklinDirector.com's website. I guess there's a, a bassist that's named Tony Franklin. Yeah. Hell that's yeah. Okay. You know, so that and then, you know, you can connect with me on Instagram and stuff from there. Cool. cool. Carlin, are you on social? I know you're on Venmo. <sighs> I'm on Venmo. I got 50 at cents Carlin from Hudson. someone. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, yeah, my Instagram is Carlin Hudson. Are you on ins- Instagram too? Yeah, I think it's uh, Tony underscore underscore Franklin. <laughs> That's the worst. I'm at Orin Dash Kaplan on Venmo. I hope to see you there. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. I'm at O Kaplan. I've been posting breakdowns like every week or two of like commercials I do and like my animatics and things. So. Check it out. Matt is at Mr. Matt Enlow on all social media, and our podcast is at Just Shoot It Pod everywhere. Uh, you can email us, just shoot it pod at gmail.com if you have questions, if you want a copy of Tony's email, if you want to know all his secrets, all his past treatments, all his ex girlfriend's phone numbers. We will <laughs> try to get those for you. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.